They say you better listen to the voice of reason, but they don't give you any choice because they think that it's treason. Ladies and gents, boys and girls, welcome once again, and a tremendous pleasure it is to be back with you all. We're going to look back on what we predicted would be a challenging month, and the panel gives their verdict on the performance of our heroes in the half shirts. All yellow shirts, obviously. Still not sure about a yellow shirt-white shorts combination, if I'm being honest. You're listening to the BRFCS Podcast, the only podcast approved to cover the 2018-2019 season by the New York City Rovers. Don't forget to check out www.brfcs.com. Anyhow, tonight we've rotated the squad to keep everyone fresh and hungry. No Mourinho Pogba-style fallout as yet, but who knows, in an hour's time... Our first panellist is rapidly becoming our own Bradley Dack. Plugged from relative obscurity and now dictating play and earning plaudits along the way, it's the blue monster herself, Jen Bellamy. How are you, Jen? Very, very well, thank you, Mr Herbert. Splendid. And let's cheer cheer ourselves up. You're always very positive. Give us a favourite pleasant football thought that you'd like to share. Uh, I would say uh, standing up to clap the lads on when they're coming out still gives me goosebumps. Splendid. Excellent stuff. Next up is the BRFCS hotshot reporter himself, Cammy. Welcome back to the pod, Cammy. How are you and what's your favourite pleasant football thought? Yeah, I'm well, thanks, Hope. Everyone else is well. Uh, mine is, in my lifetime, I've seen Rovers lift the Premier League. Something that I thought I would never see. Tremendously uplifting, absolutely. And finally, the BRFCS equivalent of Charlie Mulgrew. A touch of class when required, cool under pressure and the first name on the team sheet. It's the Marple Leaf Michael Taylor. How's things with you, Michael? And give us a favourite pleasant football thought of yours. Well, when I walk with my lads from Lower Darwin towards Ewood, we walk along Bolton Road, and if I can see the sign up outside Levers that says Hot Pies, then I have a warm glow all about me, and I go and get one of their... Chicken and bean pies. I was just about to say that. They were the guys who first came up with that one. Yeah, yeah. It used to be called a Shearer pie. Indeed it was, yes, yes. Maybe we can bring it back now he's no longer playing, something like that. Mine is when I see a little kid... Uh, you know, hopefully going to the ground for the first time you know, in the first year you see some little tots they look like umpa all dressed in blue and white being taken to the ground and I absolutely love that so that's my pleasant football thought so there we go we have a panel we have an agenda so let's kick off by reflecting upon September and we'll start with uh, we'll start at the low point I guess the Bristol City game I wrote down in my notes second half disaster Cammy, what were your thoughts? pretty much that Ian it was a bizarre game, really. We looked so good in the first, in control. Obviously, Mulgrew scoring diet from the corner. We had other chances. And in the second half, it, we just collapsed first time, really, in a, in a long time that we've collapsed like that, defensively all over the place, completely lost our shape. Again, substitutions probably didn't help. I think we went gung-ho trying to get an equaliser, but we just lost our shape, I think, more than anything else. It was a fragility. Uh, I've not, not really seen that under Mowbray. I mean, one thing you can usually rely on is that we've got some sense of uh, defensive order, but it, was, it just seemed chaotic, and it seemed like everybody was just 5 or 10% below the, the threshold. But, uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll move on swiftly from that one. Don't really want to pour over the wreck of that, but no, not one of our... Uh, not one of our best encounters let's put it that way we then had a home game with Aston Villa the topic of late goals 
comes up on the forum and comes up on Twitter quite a lot. Russ Prescott tweeted last night that it's three times that we've conceded after 85 minutes in the last 12 games. So my question is, is that statistically significant? Is it a fan overreaction, overreaction, sorry, or should it be a valid concern or is it just a freak? Michael, what do you think? I think it's a really valid concern, Ian. I think it was one of the reasons we got relegated uh, season before last. We weren't able to shut the game down against Preston, and there were other occasions where, you know, hanging on to a 1-0 lead, it's just not enough. Football's played over, really, 95 minutes, and I think we've got to get better. To me, it's really simple. The opposition can't score if you've got the ball in their half. And I just wish that they had systems, if they had a, a resilience, a way of playing, that would adopt that mindset and just slow it down. I thought we I thought we got better at it last season, to be fair. Yeah, I think it's something that they're going to have to start working on on the training ground. So a goal like Hurahans for Villa, I mean, that, that really was top-draw stuff. Is that is that a lack of concentration in giving away the foul? Yeah, I think it is. I don't think they should have been in our third at that point in the game. I think... Let's give credit to him. You know, he curled that ball around the wall brilliantly. Um, massively disappointed when it hit the back of the net. But they should never have been in that position. I think it was a cheap free kick, but it was a free kick. And we shouldn't be giving those away at that stage in the game either. Yeah, I saw the... Um, I think there's a, co- a close correlation between the foul on Grealish for the Villa game and then uh, Lennon's penalty. I mean, we'll come on to the Stoke game in a second. But again, it just seems that there is that little bit of nervousness and edginess to impose themselves physically and try and close it down at the risk of giving away a cheap foul. Cammy, what was your take on, on the Villa game as a whole? I mean, it was a good performance uh, against one of the, the fancy teams. Um, you know, thoroughly deserved to be one a lot. But as Michael said, as soon as we got in the last 10 minutes, you can see them getting nervous, started giving the ball away, dropping deeper and deeper. And obviously they... It was a fantastic free kick, but like Michael said, because we dropped so deep, because we looked so nervous, because we stopped doing what we'd done for the previous 80, 85 minutes, um, you could see us conceding a goal, and, and that's what happened. Well, well, we'll come back to late goals when we talk about Stoke in a second, but in between the Villa and the, the Stoke game was uh, Derby County away. Uh, and I have to say, from my from my viewpoint, it was one of the hardest fought draws and, and perhaps least deserved points that we've taken away uh, in quite some time. Cammy, do you agree with that, or have you got a more a more optimistic view? I mean, the first half could have been two or three nil uh, to Derby, uh, but for Raya and some you know goal line clearance, I think they hit the bar, the post, with three bodies in the way. It was a proper old-fashioned type of performance where they put their bodies in, on, the, on, on the line and it was a complete opposite to Bristol City in the second half where, you know, this time we were organised. Yeah, they, you know, we had to make some desperate challenges but I thought in the second half we controlled them quite well and, and didn't get nervous, kept our organisation, kept our concentration and, and a great point. Yeah, I think the um, the turning point for me, and we've all been on the receiving end of those, and we're, where we've been the dominant team, and you've just thought we're just not going to score tonight. When Mason Mount's free kick hit the bar, 
and came out. You, 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 the Rovers fans were quite close to the Derby fans. He could just look across, and they had that thousand-yard stare that sort of says, this is going to be one of them, isn't it? It's just going to be one of them. And then when Danny Graham set Bradley Dack through, I thought, oh, my word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't looking forward to the long walk back to the car because <laughs> we really need to be wearing Dick Turpin's mask here if we come away with three points. But I... I it felt a good point on the night, and I certainly would have, uh, you know, that classic cliche, I would have shaken hands on a draw at quarter to eight. But after last night's result and the way that Derby took on, um, sorry, Frank Lampard's Derby took on Manchester United last night, I think that point looks even better. It really does. And, of course, they gave they gave Brentford a bit of a stuffing on Saturday. So all in all, uh, from a really, really difficult-looking fixture list, I think to pick something up there was probably the point that I least expected. But then that takes us through to Stoke. Now, Rovers have been accused recently of not being able to put two halves of good football together. We're either good in the first and weak in the second, or vice versa. What happened here, though, was the old, um, well, not the 80-20 rule, but the 80-10 rule. Can we... Can you try and explain why were we so good in the first 80 minutes and what on earth changed? I mean, for 80 minutes, it's probably the best I've seen Rovers play for maybe two seasons, three seasons. They were just brilliant, passing the ball, messing Stoke around, completely sort of turning defence into attack. You're well organised. Dak was running the show, could have been 4 0 up, and then give a silly goal away, and then collapse, you know, we could have conceded three goals in sort of four minutes. You know, they made it three two. How that crouch header stayed out and then the subsequent follow up, I don't know how that stayed out. I think they created more chances and then obviously in injury time we gave a silly penalty away, which thankfully Berahino missed. What was Darren Lennon thinking? It's just a brain freeze. I think they just panicked. Like, he just seemed to run sort... straight into their bloke and pushed him over, basically. Yeah. There was no imminent danger. I mean, he's in the penalty area right enough, but it, there are more dangerous places to be in the penalty area. It seemed absolutely crazy. What What do you think turned it round for Stoke? What was the catalyst for their recovery? I think it was them scoring, and then they could see Rovers panic. And obviously they got the second goal quite quickly afterwards, and then it was just they were crowd behind them, they were pushing forward, they could see Rovers in blind panic just trying to kick the ball away wherever they could and they didn't seem they completely lost their defensive shape and that just encouraged them to go push further, further forward and we we panicked You know, Ryan made some good saves and just about managed to hang on but I think it was just the, the, the panic uh, that, that Rovers had at the back that sort of encouraged them to push forward I think it was Peter Crouch induced panic based on, on my perspective. I think when, well, as soon as Crouch came on, there looked to be um, a little bit of uncertainty as to who was going to pick him up. And no, from that moment on, of course, he won everything in the air. But as you say, two goals in two minutes, crikey, that really turned things around. That save from Raya, I've, I've watched it and re-watched it and re-watched it on TV. I'm still not entirely sure how he keeps it out. And I'm still yeah. not entirely sure how they fail to follow up on the rebound and put it in. But Raya, in those situations, I don't think there's anybody better in the division at those instinctive, reactive saves. And I don't think yeah. there's many in the Premier League that are better than him, to be perfectly honest. I'm just hoping that the fact that they managed to hang on and get the three points will just give them that little bit more confidence. I think it's just a panic when they get into the last 10 minutes and it's uh, they're leading. They seem to panic. Hopefully, even though it all collapsed in that 10 minutes, we did 
get over the line, did get the three points, hopefully that'll give them that little bit more confidence when yeah. when they get into those tight situations that yeah. they did manage to see it out. So last night um, we played Bournemouth, possibly extenuating circumstances around another late goal, given Derek Williams' handball. The look on the look on his face when he picked the ball up and turned around to look at the referee is priceless. I'd, I'd quite like somebody to gift that, if possible, and so, so we could use that for future reactions. 2-0 down, I feared the worst, I have to say. Cammy, what, what, th- what do you think about our character in being able to come back then away from home to a Premier League side in those circumstances? I think it just shows what, what we've been saying from the start of the season, that this is a very close-knit group. They've, they've got that spirit. They never give up. You know, 2-0 two, two down against the Premier League side. Um, could have been further down, but we stuck in there, pulled a goal back, and then it was that fighting spirit that we showed to, to get it back to 2 all and it's just unfortunate with you know with Williams getting sent off and then that a bit of lack of organisation right at the end, which which cost us. But it it just shows how close knit this group is and the spirit that they have and that never say die kind of attitude, which is what Mowbray has built you know over the last eighteen months, and now we we're reaping that you know that those benefits. And I mean, he's always at pains to say when he signs a player. It's not just the ability that he looks at, but he looks at the background, yeah. the kind of player they are, whether they fit in with this particular group. Reminds me of Graham Souness when he when he says things like that. I think Souness was always a big one on attitude. Well, I've got two people to blame for last night. I make no bones about it. Uh, one of them, unfortunately, can't be on the pod tonight, and that's Mike Delap, who pre-game tipped us off that Stanislas was going to score, and sure enough, he dutifully did. And then there was somebody who was matching the goals going in. I will, I'll call it Dean Court, not the vitality. At Dean Court, beer for beer. Jen, would you like to join the conversation at this point and explain your evening last night and how it seemed that every time you took the top off a bottle of beer, somebody scored a goal? I'm so sorry I opened beer number five. I really, really am. You just couldn't wait um, till the 95th minute, could you? No, I should have done. But no, it was. I didn't realise until I was just about to open, was it? Yeah, I was just about to open number four and thought, I've had three bits and there have been three goals. Oh, hmm, I'll tweak this. And within 10 seconds, we got the penalty shout. And it was like, I'm prophetic again. I did this in the Carabao Cup when I was in Cornwall and I toasted Casey Palmer and then he scored. But then, unfortunately, it, it all went a bit whoops and daisy when some, I, I was being hammered to have number five with people nagging, going, oh, are you ready? Are you ready? I was like, patience. And then opened it just, just, just before their their third went in. I'm I'm very sorry. It's um, shameful, but five five beers on a school night is is creditable. I'll give you that. I've paid for it today. To I'll be fair, <laughs> yeah. Um, but to be fair, if if the first one hadn't gone in from Stanislav, then it'd have been a different story. So it's more Dilap's fault than mine. Yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike unfortunately couldn't join us tonight, but it will be stored away and potentially <laughs> used against him. Of that, you can uh, you can rest rest assured. So September, we said when we gathered on the pod last month, that was going to be a challenging month. It was going to be a tricky one. We picked up a, a point against Villa, a point against Derby, and a win against Stoke. Michael, on balance, uh, above par, would you say for September? Yeah, definitely. I think the win at Stoke's a massive bonus. And, you know, big shout-out here, actually. The player that didn't, well, Dak didn't play last night against Bournemouth as well. Neither did Danny Graham. But what a player Danny Graham's been over these few games. You know, he the way he holds the ball up, 
I'd have had him down possibly even as man of the match against Villa, but it was always going to be uh, Dat for his sky goal, his little dinky flick. So, yeah, we're playing good football. We're playing with a bit of confidence. We fought back against Bournemouth and Rodwell got a run out. Um, lots of players are getting game time. Yeah, we've got to look at that and think um, we're going to the Forest game with a bit of confidence. Yeah, unfortunately we'll lose Derek Williams because of the red card last night, but the uh, the yellow card uh, for Lenehan is, is retained in that competition. It doesn't seep over into the league. Uh, ben Brereton, of course, won't be won't be eligible to play against Forrest. Um, I kind of feel for him a bit because he's been given cameos and he's been asked to play out wide right, which I don't think is his natural position. But yeah. I do wonder if the signing of Brereton has made Graham sort of step up and say, hang on a minute, son, you might be the, the next young thing, but I still know a thing or two, because I thought Graham was absolutely the man of match against Stoke. And certainly when we made the substitutions at Derby, him coming on and giving us a focal point to hold the ball up started to relieve the pressure for the first game. So he's been absolutely magnificent, and if he's possibly my player of the month, I think, for, for September. So yeah, a good month all round. Disappointed it starts with Bristol City, but I think we've, we've gradually sort of like... sort of started to find our feet a little bit in the division, and hopefully we can we can go on from there. Why why do you think Morbury is playing Brereton on the right? Because he clearly isn't a winger. I, I, I can't understand why he's not playing him up front. I think it's to give him game time. So I think it's just to get him some minutes on the pitch. I think Danny Graham is playing so well that it's making... I don't think he can play instead of Graham. Certainly not his first choice. He might sort of replace him for the last 10 or 15 minutes of the game. I think also Mowbray has been quite cautious in his selections. He doesn't want to stack us too many up front and leave us exposed in midfield. And where we've struggled... Uh, Derby away in the opening 20 minutes was because we were outnumbered in midfield. We had Smallwood and Evans in the midfield and they had three central midfielders. And that was as a result of basically having Dak playing quite in an advanced role. Palmer doesn't really do a lot of defensive work. I think he's got positive attributes, but it's tracking back and defending. And I have to say, uh, in the opening 20 minutes, Armstrong playing through the centre on his own at Derby looked like a little lost lamb. It was just like men, men against boys stuff. So I suspect that the Mowbray's trying to squeeze square pegs into round holes and just get Brereton some game time. I don't know. Obviously, it's just my supposition. What, what What's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, I just hope it doesn't end up sort of him losing confidence because, you know, it is a big fee that we're going to pay for him and he's a young lad. Um, and our crowd isn't the most patient even yeah, you know, that's a fair on, point. On, 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 on even on the forum, some people have been saying, "Well, it looks like it's a waste of money," but it's far too early to make any judgments. Some people were having a go at him after he came on a sub at Bristol City for crying out loud. So, if you're going to start yeah. tearing the young lad apart, I, I'm when he signed, uh, my my first thought was, "Well, that's an investment of the future, and it might take you know 12 months before you can actually start to to deliver." But we shall see. Right. We missed him when he was absent. Uh, him and his pink boots have provided a certain something that nobody else in the squad seems to be able to offer. The question I want to pose to the panel now is just how good is Bradley Dack? 
How does he compare to some of the other Rovers magicians that we've had in the past? Jen, would you like to kick us off on this one? Um, I'd say he's very good, um, but he's not there yet. I'm, I'm, I don't think we can compare yet. There's people on Twitter who have said comparing him with two guy. He, he's not in his league yet. Yes, there's enormous, enormous potential, but he's got a long way to go. Yeah, so I'd say that Blackburn's Bradley Dack is better than Gillingham's Bradley Dack. You can't compare him with the likes of Tugs or Dunny or or Sellers. Yeah, he he's got a way to go for me. I agree with Jen. Um, I think he's his own unique player. You can't compare him to the likes of Dunny and Tugai yet. Um, got the potential to to get to that level, uh, but but not yet. But he's brilliant. If I was to compare him to anyone, will be different type of player but had the same kind of effect which was Craig Hignett when, when we last went up uh, playing that free role not having as much defensive responsibility and he, you know at times used to control games for us but but yeah he's not a two guy it's a completely different type of player not even a dunny yet but hugely promising player and been massive for us and I think there were some people sort of doubting whether He'd be able to make that jump up from League One to Championship, but he's made it look easy, look, looks comfortable at this level. Um, maybe reveling in that bit more space that you get because teams play against you and aren't trying to block you all the time, and he's, he's reveled in it. Michael, what's your take? Who's he better than? Um, I think he has the potential to be better than Matt Janssen, who's always one of my favourites. I think he brought that touch of magic to Rovers, helped us get promoted, even though we Obviously, Brian Kidd bought him in the Premier League era. You know, he, had the, he has the capacity to do the unexpected, and he makes other teams adjust their play. Other teams line up, and you can see that some of them they put two players on Dak, um, and that's the that's the greatest tribute any player can face from the opposition that they have two two people marking him. So, yeah, I I feel the same way I do about Matt Janssen, and I hope um, that Dak can help us to. He's helped us to one promotion. Hopefully he can help us to win trophies and, you know, maybe an England career that was the thing that tragically, sadly, eluded a player of the talent of Matt Janssen. Yeah, that's, a, that's one of the remaining tragedies of, of Matt's career. Um, I mean, what, what an amazing talent he was, but at the very highest level. And I think that's the bit, I think, back this season, he, he's, he's shown that he, he's capable of making this, the step up. Now he needs to show consistency across the season. Um, and he will make other clubs uh, sit up. And I think the the initial derisory five million pounds that West Brom tried to sign him for <laughs> will be one of the like add-on clauses. I think that we put on to to any future sale. I'm probably not the first person to make this comparison. In fact, I know I'm not the first person to make this comparison. But to me, for the older listeners, he reminds me of Duncan McKenzie and the way that he can sort of like have an impact on a game with a piece of skill or just a piece of vision that nobody else in the team has got. Uh, I think his finishing also, again for the older listeners, reminds me a little bit of Tony Field. I do feel very confident when he's going in one-on-one, which is all the more galling that he didn't take the chance at Stoke to make it 4-0. It's very rare that he doesn't take those. I think his finishing is, is absolutely first class. But I agree with everything that the rest of you have said. He's got oodles of potential. But right now, he's showing it at the second tier level. Um, and it's another big step up to, to Premier League, but he's certainly capable of it if he keeps his mind straight and if he turns up to do his community service. Sound a bit like Brian Clough there, don't you? 
Do you know, Dean, the one thing I really like and appreciate about Dak, and maybe it's the, the same characteristic with Janssen, is um, he's very honest. He very rarely dives. You know, he gets clattered into by these big six-foot centre halves. And generally, unless he's been absolutely thumped, he just he just gets up and gets on with it. And if he gets a decision, fair enough. And he doesn't try to kid referees. Yeah, it's a good point, that. Yeah, I hadn't really brought that front and centre, but now you mention it, so that cracky, yeah, he does, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, just just watch him go tumbling like a, a rag doll <laughs> in a penalty box against Forrest. Bradley Dack, the new Howard Gale, as soon as he comes back. So <laughs> spending 88 minutes of a game sat on his backside moaning at the ref. That's a bit unfair on Howard. He was very good in his time. So that's Bradley Dack then. Oodles of potential. Let's hope he realises it. Next question on the the running order. Um, This squad seems to be rapidly and rightfully earning a reputation as a friendly, relatable and a likeable bunch. So on that theme, which current Rovers player would you most like to introduce to your friends and family and why? Now, we've not got Linz tonight, so the big question is, will Craig Conway feature? And if he doesn't, will she forgive us for not featuring him? Cammy, I'm going to let you start on this. I'll go for our goalkeeper, David Raya, seeing him come up. Uh, through the ranks, really nice lad. Oh yeah, I'll go for David Raya. Nice lad. Jen. All of them. <laughs> but then, but then if I, you had that, to choose one, if I had to choose, well, it depends what kind of occasion. Because there's some family dues that I've had to go to that I wouldn't want to wish on my worst enemy. Maybe not those kind of dues. If you're thinking who you want to introduce to your mum and dad, then hands down, it's Benno every single time. But then night out in the pub with your mates, say top of the list for me will be Mulgrew. But I have a sneaking suspicion that I wouldn't actually be able to talk to him. I'd just stand there with my gob open. (laughs) (laughs) And might just every now and again mutter, but you're so beautiful. Don't think I'd want Dak on a night out in the pub with my mates because he'd be like a hyperactive five-year-old that's had too many Skittles. And he'd just be exhausting. Downing too. I I have suspicions that there are some immense senses of humour with Downing. Always the quiet ones and the Ginger Ninja as well. He's yeah. rapidly becoming a new favourite. Yes, I think he would be cheeky and he would be fun. Very much so, Michael. Who would who would your dinner party guest be then in Leafy Marple? Oh, get away with you! Now, um, for reasons I've gone into before on this podcast, I don't speak to players. I don't want them coming to my house. I don't want them. Um, being my friend. One of my sons does this all the time. We're in social situations and he bumps into Rovers players. Like on the way back from Hibs, he goes to chat to them on the train. And I just double up in this massive, massive cringe. Um, <laughs> they, but they but they do seem like really nice lads. And my mate's son, Matt Curry, tweeted this week. He said, I'm just putting it out there, but I'd love to be mates with Danny Graham. And I kind of know where he's coming from. But, you know, I'm 52 years of age. I don't want to be mates with footballers. What I would say, though, is I wouldn't necessarily want to introduce Charlie Mugrew to basically babysit my kids if I had young kids. Because he might leave them in the car outside a supermarket. <laughs> Has he got previous for that? Or is it just your imagination? We'll come on to my imagination later. No, no, he did that. And um, he left his kids outside Costco in Glasgow. Oh, and, right. and Michelle Moan from Ultimo Bra, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gra- grassed him up to the cops. Wow. 
True story, that. Google that to your heart's content, yeah, yeah. then, folks, yeah, when the podcast yeah. is finished. Well, they're young kids, or... Yeah. Oh, they must be young kids, because he's only... Yeah. yeah. God, oh, dear. That's a bit of a David Cameron thing, then, isn't it? I wonder if he just forgot there, and he just got sidetracked with enthusiastic Celtic fans. Well, do you know what? I've done the same, so... <laughs> Splendid. I think we'll move we'll move on to the next topic. So um, you, you've already sort of volunteered, Michael, that you don't particularly. I think on more than one occasion you've volunteered that you don't particularly want to to encounter rover spiders. But you tweeted something about a dream the other week, and that that made me think about: Would anybody like to share their best or worst encounter with a rover's player in real life? Whether that's well in reality or in Michael's case in the dream. I've got an, account, an encounter with Tim Sherwood that I'll, I might share after I've heard yours first of all. But, Michael, right. t- tell us about your dream. Okay, sit back listen to this one. My ex-wife, the mother of my oldest two, two of my children, met a new man. And he's the guy that installs satellite dishes in Cheshire and puts home entertainment systems in people's houses. One of the houses that he worked on was Chris Sambers. And, and he came to me bragging, you know, in that sort of tension you have with people who share the space with your children. He says, yeah, yeah, I met one of your players, Chris Samba. Yeah, he said the boys can come up and play in his garden sometime. And there's me grinding my teeth with quiet rage. Because Chris Samba lived just up the road from us in High Lane. At the end of the season, this never happened, by the way, such is the nature of, uh, of the person that we're talking about, all promises. At the end of the season, a good friend of mine is a good friend of David Dunn and he invited us to the, the, it's the last game of the season when we beat Arsenal and Dunny was man of the match and he scored and we beat them and it was Joe's birthday and we went into the players lounge and we were waiting and the players were drifting in and Dunny walked in and he was mobbed by people and he made eye contact with me straight away went straight over to us and said so which one's the birthday boy then so so far so good Chris Samba then comes in and I'm still bristling from the fact that cable guy reckons he can um, entertain my children. Yeah. He'd long gone off the scene by this point. Yeah. So I went up to Chris Samba and I said, so Chris, you live in High Lane, don't you? And he went, Elaine, but no. He barely spoke English. Then broken French, I tried to say, I live quite near you. How about, and I was shaking his hand and looking him in the eye and saying, how about, and I got completely tongue-tied and couldn't quite explain the relationship between my ex-wife's new boyfriend who was on off the scene and could my kids come and play football in your garden? And he just looked at me and went, no. <laughs> and moved swiftly on. Well, well you would, I then, would turned, you? I then turned around to, to, to Vince Grella and he went, oh, hello, mate. I says, oh, hi, Vince. Yeah, um, so you got subbed today. Did you take a knock? And he went, no, mate, I just got subbed off. And there was this awkward, <laughs> awkward silence. <laughs> And so, I, I think, I'm, now, I, I was, I'm now sticking to dreams. I think it explains perfectly and beautifully there why you don't want to encounter any more Rovers players in real yes, life, yes, based on yes. that. So, come on, tell us about your dream, then, that you tweeted about. Yeah, so I went to pick Louis up from his fiber-side at Woodley Sports in Stockport the other week, and uh, I was in the car, and he bursts into the car, he opens the door, and he says, uh, can you give my friend a lift home? And I went, this, which is not an uncommon request. I went, of course I can, mate. And his friend was Bradley Dack. In the dream, and just for the avoidance of doubt, just in case That's someone's right. jumped in yeah. halfway through. And I went, oh, hello, Dacky. He's going, hello. 
and I don't know why, but I brought our border terrier with us as well. And Daki was going, oh, what a lovely little doggy. Oh, isn't she cute? What's her name? Oh, I think I'm going to get a dog just like this one. Oh. And he was he was exactly like the hyperactive five-year-old on the on the Jen just described. Skittles that Jen just described. Splendid. So, yeah, that, that, that's my dream. And I keep waiting for part two where he says, how would you like your kids to come and play football in my garden, in my garden with me and yes. my yes. next-door neighbour, Chris Samba? That's not happened either. Splendid. Well, maybe That's actually less strange than the real encounter. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe this could be a regular pod feature then, so if, if you're listening out there and you've, you've dreamt of a Rovers player, Linz, not you, we can, we can introduce, uh, we can introduce uh, this as a regular topic. Jen, have you any... Uh, real-life encounters you want to bring into the party? Not sure it's really an encounter as such, but I did once walk smack-bang into Ray Harford that I'd just gone to pick up the team news back in my Radio Rovers gophering days to take back to the studio, and I was too busy studying what the team was to be paying any attention to where I was, where I was going, or anyone around me. And it's not like he was a particularly petite chap. He was easy to miss either, but I went straight slap-bang wallop (laughs) into him, then had to look very high up and apologise profusely and then go back to the team sheet and scuttle back up to the studio. There was that time at Brockle as well with a raccoon. A raccoon? That, with a raccoon. That Pedersen lifted weights with, which was fun. And quite possibly the most confused that Gomez has ever been with me trying to explain why I wanted a picture of him and a raccoon and that the picture would be better if he put his hand in the back of the raccoon. This was Brilliant a toy day, raccoon, though. I take it, as opposed to a real raccoon. It's a puppet. <laughs> it was. Just check in, in case there's anybody Brilliant from the RSPCA time. listening. Splendid. <laughs> Mine's That's very mundane story. by comparison, I have to say. Uh, I was once staying over with Mrs H. We were having a weekend retreat in Leafy Cheshire. Is it Mottram Hall, where Sir Alex Ferguson used to play golf quite a bit? Yes, is that that that's the hotel. We're staying there on a one of these like bargain weekend type things, and on the Saturday afternoon there was a bit of a kerfuffle in reception because Spurs were staying there the night before their FA Cup semi final at Old Trafford, and of course in the Spurs team at that time was Tim Sherwood, and on the Sunday morning as I was going back to my room after breakfast the whole Spurs team were walking down the corridor towards me. I just unlike Michael, I thought I've got to say something, Jones, and I just said, "Good luck, Tim," and he went, "Oh, thanks, mate." So that's my Tim Sherwood story. <laughs> Step aside, Peter Eustinoff. <laughs> well, all I can say is and it's a good job that Martin Edwards, former chairman of Man United, wasn't at Mottram Hall that day. That day, Because he was notorious for lurking around the toilets looking for uh, female company. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That'll have to be edited out, won't it? And it's legal and true. You don't have to edit that out. You learn something every day. <laughs> Yeah, me, me, maybe it will just edit so, out to be on the safe side. Charlie Milford leaves his kids outside supermarkets. <laughs> Ex-chairmen of football clubs hang around ladies' toilets looking for women. So has, he, true. has he been done for that? Yeah, he was, yeah. There was, all right. So if I can find, if I can find something... <laughs> that backs it up that my learned friends won't be turning to that's fine okay so those are our best and worst encounters of rovers players in real life same invitation out there listeners uh, if you've got one that you'd like to share with us on a future pod then by all means contact us and we'll put it in there So, lastly, uh, on, on topics for this evening, then, 
Following the uh, the horrendous Bristol City defeat, my thoughts turned back to a, a 1983 main road horror show where City hammered us 6-0, and I thought, that's probably the only Rovers game that I really, really regret attending. And I wondered if any of our panellists had any other games that they sort of said, I wish I'd never gone to X because of. So, Michael, do you want to kick us off? I, I don't regret going to any game. You know, I, I almost even if it's a horrible experience and you come away from it feeling utterly fed up, I don't regret going. But what I will say in answer to the second part of your question, is there a game I regret going to? It would be Newcastle United away in 1981, where I got beaten up by skinheads outside the away, outside the Strawberry Pub on the way around to the away end when I was only about 14. Uh, and that was a truly horrible experience. I didn't even get to the game. I spent the afternoon in hospital um, with concussion. So, uh, yeah, that. Yeah, that doesn't sound particularly welcoming, I have to say. Cammy, any any games you regret attending? Uh, yeah, the year we went down, I think it was 2012, uh, Tottenham away, the infamous North Oh, that one? Yeah, um, I think we'd won the, the previous match. I'm not sure who it was against, possibly Norwich. Um, so there was a bit of hope that we might stay up. So I made a, the long journey down and... It wasn't just the no shots, it was just the sheer realisation that we had a, well, we were going down and we had a Muppet in charge. <laughs> if it wasn't clear by then, but it was definitely clear. Oh, it was just horrendous. A soul-destroying experience. I watched that game on TV and it was bewildering. Absolutely bewildering. I mean, there's, there's lots of theories in the dark corners of the internet as to why we didn't have a shot that day. Probably best because of my learned friends that we don't go into them in too much detail. But yeah, that must have been soul destroying. Jen, have you have you got any that you'd like to bring to the party, or are you naturally uh, so positive that everything is a learning experience? It's true. It's um, it very dull response. It's it's none. Half because I have an absolutely appalling memory, so I wouldn't remember. Um, but there's there's always something you can cling on to, whether it's a player, the way somebody's played a view, something that someone's said near you that made you chuckle, like only at Ewood Park can you have somebody shouting, get up your daft apers at somebody. There's always something, like the Fleetwood match last season, the first half, so, so dull, but there's some really pretty fireworks across the Darwin end during the first half. <laughs> there's always something. It's to your eternal credit that you can you can pick something positive out of, uh, of situations like that, so well done you. It uh, says more about you than the rest of us. So just one thing finally to, to wrap up the pod, uh, and it's uh, for those of you who are on Twitter, an, an account I recommend you following, it's at um, 538, spelt out, not, not numerically. Uh, and it's a website run by the, the US pollster and prediction guru Nate Silver, who does a lot of analysis around American uh, elections. But he also, on the website, has started doing a lot of sports analysis and predictions and stuff like that. And uh, they update... Um, the, all the European top leagues with a sort of a prediction model that they run, and they've just um, they've just refreshed the results. And the latest table is predicting a Rovers finish of 16th, which I think is up from 19th on the original preseason one that they posted. And according to them, we have a 13% chance of relegation and a 10% chance of making the playoffs. I just wondered what our panelists thought of that, Cami. Is that a fair reflection that probably we're going to be somewhere in the middle? Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's pretty much what I expect this season. That we've got a slim chance of 
getting into the top six, but we should be well clear of any any relegation battle and results. You know, thus far, sort of, have have us on that trajectory to finish comfortably mid table. It's a season to build uh, for for the future, really. Yeah, I dare say statisticians could could pull this apart and, and mathematicians could do a, a real good job on it better than I can. But on the latest cut of the prediction, uh, our Lancastrian rivals Preston are predicted to finish below us and Bolton one place higher than them. They're saying that Ipswich, Rotherham and Reading are the most likely to go down, but then Preston and Bolton are the next two. The tipping West Brom, Middlesbrough and Brentford to finish in the top three with Leeds finishing fourth. I think that Leeds situation is going to be an interesting one. Michael, who do you fancy to finish in the promotion places? I think Leeds will. Um, I, th- I think this manager's a character. I think he knows what he's doing. Leeds are playing such fantastic attacking football. I know they've, they've lost one recently. But, you know, this statistic stuff. I mean, why don't we all just give up and go home and let Nate Silver pick who's going <laughs> to win the league? You know, we've, we've, been, talking, we've been talking on this pod today. Uh, you'd be pleased to know I'm not going to say anything potentially damaging, um, about how magic Bradley Duck is. And, you know, you can't you can't statistically model magic and talent and brilliance and drama and serendipity and all those fantastic things that make us love football the way that we do. And those moments come from those beautiful pink boots and what's, what's in them. They are and, stunning, aren't they, those boots? Yeah, and, you know, who, who knows? There might be other players in the team who, who can also turn up some magic and, you know... It could be, we could be we could surprise a few absolutely Jen you of course will be tipping us to finish well if not in the top six in the top three I would imagine I, I, I wouldn't go that far I mean if we finish 16th I'd be happy um, I did have a quick squiz at this earlier on but then decided to dismiss it as being utterly useless when I saw it at Birmingham <laughs> Brothers arithmetic not nonsense not else chance yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I just think it, um, I think it's interesting that somebody's tried to apply these sorts of algorithms to something that is chaotic to, to, to Michael's point, you know, sport is chaotic. Football is one of the more chaotic sports. There are so many variables in the equation. But I'm pleased to see that the trajectory that they've seen in our results um, indicates that, that they think that we're going to stay up. So, all good stuff. So there we go. Uh, another month, another pod. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please spread the word. Force any naughty children to listen. We're not proud. However, we get listeners. It really doesn't matter. But thanks also to our terrific panel tonight. That's um, Jen, Cammy, and Michael. Thanks very much, guys, for your time. It's much appreciated. And also thanks once again to our forum member Biz and his band The Symmetry for allowing us to use their music as our theme this season. Uh, I'll remind you again, they can be found on Twitter at The Symmetry Band and they're also on Facebook. If there is anybody out there who fancies contributing a favourite and earliest Rovers memory or something else to a future episode, please get in touch with BRFCS either under the pod forum thread or on Twitter. Send any of your ideas and suggestions through and we'll try and incorporate them in a future episode. But until next time, thanks very much once again. Uh, It's been a pleasure.